Rick's resume speaks for itself, beginning as a high school uh, and later assistant basketball coach at Georgia Tech, to owning his own global sports marketing firm and becoming a sought-after motivational and inspirational speaker. His marketing firm, Fishbait Marketing, is considered one of the premier collegiate sports marketing uh, firms in the United States. And he works in partnership with ESPN, CBS Sports, Turner Sports, USA Today, and as well as other media companies. He's also a partner in R&R Bait and Tackle, a Nashville agency specializing in sponsorships in country music with clients including the Country Music Association and Sony Music Nashville. <coughs> Some of uh, Fishbait Marketing's clients include the Atlantic Coast Conference, American Football Coaches Association, and their official charity, Coach to Cure, MD, the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta, the Football Bowl Association, and Capital One, managing the Capital One Cup. And over the years, some of Rick's career highlights include being the agency for MasterCard's World Cup program, the agency for UPS Olympic program, creation of the University of Missouri Mizzou tagline and campaign, coordination of the SEC 75th anniversary campaign, fundraiser for the National World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., sponsorship sales for the NCAA, <laughs> and creation of the Garth Brooks Blame It All on My Roots box set at Walmart. <laughs> and even, get this, coordinated and produced a concert celebrating 30 years of British rock and roll in Hyde Park, London, attended by Prince Charles and 100,000 of his closest friends. So with all his travels <coughs> and high-pressured corporate business transactions, Rick remains one of the most sincere, honest, humble, and funny men I know. Paul tells us in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, <coughs> and self-control. I would like to introduce to you one who truly embodies that scripture, my friend Rick Jones. Gentlemen, uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, please bless the message and bless your messenger. Amen. Bill, uh, thank you for that. Um, it's And Hank, thank you for asking me to be here. It's really great to be here with you today. Uh, Forty years ago, this week, I went to student teach at a school on St. Simon's Island and started my career. I was actually on St. Simon's yesterday. I hadn't been back in years. I went down for a, drove down and drove back for a lunch meeting, but it was 40 years ago. I had gone to Georgia Southern and I would played college basketball and we made a coaching change after my junior year and I knew I wasn't gonna get to play for the new guy. And I wanted to be a coach and I wanted to student teach during basketball season so that I would get some hands-on experience. And my supervising teacher had us fill out a form where we listed three places that we wanted to go student teach. And most people in Statesboro wrote down Waycross or Savannah or Swainsboro. 
And I wrote down, at the beach, at the beach, at the beach. <laughs> and my supervising teacher liked that, and he sent me to Frederica Academy on St. Simons Island to be a student teacher. And I had been there less than a month, and my supervising teacher quit to take a job at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Brunswick. And I got hired without having a degree yet to be the athletic director, men's basketball coach, and a teacher. Well, it took me about a week of teaching at a private school to realize that the best place to teach and the best place to coach is at an orphanage. Now, you have to think about that, but if you ever coached Little League Baseball and had to deal with somebody's mama, you, uh, you now know that that's the case. But three years later, I got to become the head basketball coach at the University of the South at Suwannee, Tennessee, as a 24-year-old. And I found out I was wrong. The best place to coach is not at an orphanage. The best place to coach is at a prison. <laughs> now think about it. You got all home games. You got your letterman back year after year after year. You've got captive fans. And most importantly of all, at a prison, you'll never get fired by your alumni association. So guys, what's the moral of the story? I really believe that today, here and now, is the best time for us to take our country back and take the world back. If men of God don't do it, who's going to do it? And I want to spend my few moments today talking about that with you, um, because I think we're at a crossroads in America. I think we're at a crossroads in the world. We have a generation right now, a younger generation, that is seeking institutional answers for everything. They're seeking government to solve our problems. That just will not work. But it's our own fault, as Jimmy Buffett said in Margaritaville, because we have created a situation where we've created a vacuum in the marketplace. The government declared war on poverty in 1962 and passed a significant amount of legislation in 1964 to stop poverty. Has it stopped poverty? No. No. If it is to be, it is up to me. It is up to us individually and collectively as men of God to do this. Let's go back to, to looking at the Founding Fathers. Who built our country? It was men of faith, and it was businessmen. Men that owned businesses, that created value, economic value. And I'm convinced today that the revolution that we need to have in America is going to be done by the business community. Period. We have to take our country and our world back. Um, we have created a country of what I call American exceptionalism. And American exceptionalism was created and driven by business. Business that was good for communities, good for families, and good for our nation. And so I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about that now. More importantly than the Founding Fathers though, if you read the Bible, you realize that work is divined by God. God asks us to work six days 
and rest on the seventh. Now, I'm no math major, but I think. Oh, I lost it. Do, you need, do I need this? I do? Okay. Um, the, um, I'm no math major, but I think six out of seven days is 86%. So God thinks that 86% of our time ought to be spent working. I think that shows that God thinks work is important. Um, you know, the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our commandment, on earth as it is in heaven. To get to the done part, it starts with work. And we are God's hands on earth. That's what we are, and we need to understand that. I think it's time for a generation of business leaders to, again, take back over. Here's some statistics that I find very fascinating. In America today, there are 28 million businesses, and 96% of those, 26.6 million of those businesses, are small businesses that generate less than a million dollars a year in income. Only 004, 004, or 4% 4 of 1% businesses generate more than $10 million in income. And only 17,000 of the 28 million businesses in America generate more than $50 million. So the backbone of our country are small businesses. Are small businesses. And the beauty of being in a small business is that you can make decisions to change the world. I'm not certain that big corporations can do that anymore. We, Don and I had a conversation recently about big corporations that donate monies to charity, and they always donate them to what we call the safe charities, the non-controversial charities, and in my opinion, the non-impactful charities, because they can do that. Well, I'm going to challenge you that says we've got to do better than that. Our economy is driven with, by people like you and me. Again, work is important to God. So in, in, in keeping with the six days of work, I'm going to give you six things that you and I can do beginning today to change the world. Number one, you need to accept and rejoice that work is a gift from God and a blessing for you personally and for our society. You need to be thankful and rejoice. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We need to rejoice that we have work. Number two, we need to all quit apologizing for being businessmen. We have a society right now that looks at businessmen and says that we're wrong, that we're selfish. That's, that's a myth. That is the biggest myth of all. And we've got to go back to understanding that the private sector is essential to the success of our country and our world. Number three, you need to pray 
for your business and the success of your business every day. You need to pray for your business every day. And you need to be intentional in your prayers. I've started a program last year called The First Hour for Men. And basically what I've tried to do is give God the first hour of every day. And so I get up early in the morning, usually long before my wife gets out of bed, and I have my hour to pray, to read Scripture, and then I do a thing called thinking and thinking. And I have a business partner in Nashville that got me to doing this. His father was the uh, dean of men at David Lipscomb University in, in Nashville. My thinking and thinking is the first thing I do every day is thank the Lord for all the blessings in my life. It's hard to have a bad day when you get up and thank God for everything good in your life. And then I do the thinking part where I'm intentional about what I'm going to ask God for today. I'm intentional. And a big part of it is my business. And I want to read to you a prayer that I pray every day for my business. How many of you here own a business? Own a business. Okay? It's a lot of you. This is the prayer I pray every single day. And it's a prayer for those that are self-employed. Father, I commit my works, the plans and cares of my business to you. Entrust them wholly to you. Since you are effectively at work in me, you cause my thoughts to become agreeable with your will so that my business plan shall be established and will succeed. In the name of Jesus, I submit to every kind of wisdom, practical insight and prudence, which you have lavished upon me accordance with the riches and generosity of your gracious favor. Father, I affirm that I obey your word by making an honest living with my own hands so that I may be able to give to those in need. In your strength and according to your grace, I provide for myself and my family. Thank you, Father, for making all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to me in abundance, that I, having all sufficiency, may abound to every good work. Thank you for the grace to remain diligent in seeking knowledge and skill in areas where I am inexperienced. I ask you for wisdom and the ability to understand righteousness, justice, and fair dealing in every area and relationship. I affirm that I am faithful and committed to your word. My life and business are founded upon its principles. Father, thank you for the success of my business. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe God has blessed my life and my business, and it has been intentional. Now, how many of you don't own a business but work for somebody else? Okay, that's a number of you. Here's a prayer for you. Father, I ask for your help in planning my day, paying attention to my duties, staying focused on my assignment, establishing priorities in my work, and making steady progress toward my objectives. Give me insight, Father. Help me to see any habits that I may have that might tend to make me nonproductive. Reveal to me ways to better handle the tedious task I must perform so that I can achieve the greatest results possible. Help me to organize my efforts, schedule my activities, and budget my time. From books, by your spirit, through the people who work with me, or by whatever means you choose, Lord, reveal to me that which I know 
to do in order to become a more productive and fruitful worker. My heart's desire is to give my very best to you and to my employer. When I become frustrated because that is not taking place, help me, Father, by the power of your Spirit to do whatever is necessary to correct that situation so that once again function with accuracy and proficiency. Thank you, Lord, for bringing all these things to pass in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You need to pray for your business. Number four. Christ called us to feed my sheep. That's a commandment. Feed my sheep. The only way I know to feed sheep is through business. You have to be able to have resources to feed sheep. Now, I've thought about this a lot. Let's think about sheep for a minute and a flock of sheep. What should be your first flock? It's your family. It's your family. That's the first flock Christ asked us to take care of. For years as a small business, I'd pay everybody else before I'd pay me. I finally realized that's a sin. My family suffered because I would pay other people before I paid me. You have to take care of your flock first. Then who do you take care of? The people that work with you. Your associates, your colleagues. Now, I have a hard time, personally, with the federal government telling me that I have to provide health care for my associates. But I do. Because I feel like it's a moral imperative. I have covered 100% of health care for my staff for the last 25 years. I sleep really well at night knowing they're taken care of. Does that cut into my profits? Of course it does. But is it the right thing to do? Of course it is. Of course it is. The third flock are your customers. <laughs> I, I often say, you remember the old Stephen Still song, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with? <laughs> you better love your customers. Okay? They generate the income which can do things. You've got to take care of your customers. Then you need to take care of your church. Then you need to take care of your community. Then you need to take care of our country. And then you can take care of the world. In that order. In that order. And that is a commandment from Christ. Speaking of the family, this is a, uh, a verse of Scripture from 1 Timothy 5.8 that I think is very uh, enlightening. Timothy says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have to take care of our families first. What's wrong with America right now is the deterioration of the family. And we've got to regain that. And gentlemen, we have to do it. We are the head of the household. We are men of God. We have to do this. Number five. Only a profitable business can feed sheep. We've got to quit apologizing for creating a profit. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. It's not a sin to make a profit. In fact, it's essential that we're able to create value to be able to feed 
my sheep. How many of you here work for a not-for-profit? Okay, I want you to remember that not-for-profit is a designation and not a goal. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay, I want you to understand that. There's a big difference. Of course, what is a not-for-profit? They are a for-profit entity that gives to others than shareholders. And it's essential for our success. And finally, number six. And this is one that I feel very, very strongly about. In fact, I think it is essential. Gentlemen, you have to tithe. You have to tithe. There are lots of things you can do in Scripture to interpret. But when God says, give me 10%, that's not interpreting. That's 10%. When 90%'s not enough for you, we've got problems. God says to tithe. And I think businesses, especially small businesses, not controlled by big shareholders, have the ability to do what I call business tithe. I tithe with my income to my church. Then my profits of my business, I'm able to take a significant amount of that and do other charitable endeavors. To fix the ills of society, that's what we got to do. We can't ask the government to do that. And if we don't do that, y'all, the next generation is going to look somewhere else. If there are 26.6 million small businesses in America, and if they would agree to give 10% of their profits to other causes, we would solve societal problems. So I would encourage you to find something you're passionate about and your people are passionate about, whether that's child education or whether that's cancer research or whether that's mission work or whether that's water or whatever it is, find something and do it. And so for the next 20 years of my life, I'm going to go out and try to preach the gospel to small businesses to give 10% back. I'm not going to tell you what to do with that 10%. You're going to do what the Lord leads you to do. But if you will do that, we have a huge opportunity to change the world. You know, I want to thank you today for, for listening to me. I, as, a, as a thank you gift to you, I have a new book called Analog Advice in a Digital World, a Baby Boomer's Words of Wisdom to the Millennial Generation. And I, I'd like you to take a copy, a free copy on your way out today and have a chance to read it. More importantly, after you read it, if you like it, find a young person. Because it's really aimed at that. It was aimed at my children's generation. And it's just 52 of my favorite sayings and what they mean. And it's just practical ways uh, to, I think, improve yourself and improve your business, and improve uh, the world from that standpoint. I, I struggled with how I was going to close today. And, and anytime I struggle, God's got an answer. It's amazing. I'm really struggling. I'm sitting there on Monday going, I don't know what to, how to close. And I get an email almost immediately from my friend, Coach Dale Brown. You may remember Dale Brown basketball coach at LSU, Coach Shaquille O'Neal, went to the Final Four twice. He's one of the finest coaches I've ever known. He's a better human being. And Coach Brown, on Monday, sent me, as he, 
as he often does, this email. Dear Rick, I am still a work in progress, and this attached food for thought has stimulated me to continue my quest to be a better human being. And here's, here's what he said. Here's his story. After receiving a most gracious comment from a fan, Coach John Wooden replied by saying, Thank you so much. It means a lot to me, but you should know that I am not what I ought to be and not what I want to be, but sure glad that I am not what I used to be. I hope today God has moved you through my words and inspired you to leave here and to not be what you used to be. Thank you very much.